Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, they like to debate, deliberate the top four most ubiquitous aspects of any given topic. And this week's topic is the Mount Rushmore of hack stand-up comedy. And I am going to be competing this episode, whereas Richard and Michael will be the judges. And the person I'm going to be competing against is actually a very good friend who I've shared a comedy bill with uh, many times in my my fledgling attempts as a stand-up comic. He's actually a professional stand-up comic and a professional comedy writer with many, many credits and the host of the Road Stories podcast. It's Murray Valeriano. Are you on the line, Murray? I am on the line, and I feel a little at disadvantage uh, doing this because I remember your hacky premises. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I'm man, afraid this... you might have. A, I'm afraid you might have an edge up on. Me. All well, right, this, this guy's this... getting points already. <laughs> this whole <laughs> podcast is kind of a hacky premise if we get down yeah. to it. So, if you are a listener or even a longtime listener of the Mount Rushmore podcast, you may have heard Murray and I with a selfie stick showdown at the LA Podfest. <laughs> Uh, many months ago, many years ago, um, but that might have been the last time we saw each other. So it's great to reconnect with you. And uh, yeah, it's always good to hear from you, man. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. So uh, Murray, guests always go first, and so what's your first? My first hack premise. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm going to say uh, it's one line, but it kind of encompasses a lot of things, and it's give it up for the troops. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. That, that was on mine. That's on my list. Oh, too. we got a joint. I think it's on here. everybody. I think it's on the troops list at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it that um, obviously uh, Murray's actually done? Is it true that you've actually done some kind of USO or some performing for the military? Yeah, I, I've been uh, all over the country, and I've been to the Middle East into war zones doing shows. Yeah. So your actions speak louder than than your words. Yeah. That's <laughs> a slap on the back right there. Right right yeah. <laughs> So you, you, you actually, I know, actually believe in supporting um, these uh, women and men who are you know, very far from home, helping keep our country safe, but you don't necessarily believe in getting accolades for it. Is that right? Yeah, it's a weird. Well, first of all, I support our men and women uh, finding new jobs or being able to get new jobs is yeah. what I really support. <laughs> yeah. To quote, to quote my friend Jackie Cations. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a weird, it's kind of a, a, I don't know, an oxymoron maybe? I don't know, because... I do support it and I do, I'll, I'll, I'll go perform for the troops any chance I can get, but a lot of comics will use it just to get a cheap applause break and try to win them over onto their side. Yeah. Do you, do you ever, now, I try not to, I try not to mention it when I'm on stage, but coincidentally enough, last night, three uh, vets were in the show and mentioned that they were vets. And I was wearing a, uh, uh, a jacket that was given to me, when I was on an aircraft carrier in the Gulf and that kind of, that kind of came up organically, but it's nothing that I would ever do to win favor with an audience. So even if it's an audience, like not full of <laughs> any servicemen that you can identify, you wouldn't go up there and just say, Hey, give it up for the troops. Just to no, a, <laughs> to a sea of like staring faces and like drunken staring faces. Well, you know, it's such a, it's such a, uh, a knee-jerk reaction to applaud that now yeah. that even if there's no military people i've you know i've seen on my road stories podcast i've many people have said they've seen just somebody just eating shit and then be like you know what give it up for the troops they're, <laughs> they're... 
it's it's like having a rough time over there it's the equivalent of wearing like the little american flag pin in your lapel that you're just like all right i have to put this on every morning trump has to go up every morning can you imagine how much he must hate that just every morning's got to go in put that thing on his oh someone puts it on for him something puts it on for him you're right but like it's it's the it's almost the equivalent of just like you have to do this now and you're off. I will say um, not only comedians um, befall this because I, in my work as an event MC, every summer at this concert venue, we always do a 4th of July show. And I, not only do I have to do give it up for the troops, I have to do every branch of the military. <laughs> so it's like, oh, give Coast it Guard? Up, yeah, give it up for the weekend Coast Guard. You know, give it up for... <laughs> It's the postal workers. These people are out there delivering letters. It, it's every branch. Give and it up for the military police, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it it is something that you know. It's there's no have to because I'm obviously that that uh, holiday is about this kind of remembrance. But um, yeah, it is cheap heat that that one draws. Um, do you, Murray? Is it right? You did your father serve in the military too? Yeah, he was a he was a Navy man. He was on the uh, he was on one of the aircraft carriers that blocked uh, Russia from bringing missiles into Cuba. Oh wow, wow! So so you know even though Murray has performed for the military and it comes from a, a military family, uh, we're just kind of commenting that as, give give it up for Murray's father. Give it up for yeah, Murray's father. Everybody. <laughs> so what you're saying, Jeff, is you hate both of you. You hate the military. Uh, no, no, you no. You hate no, America. No, no, is no, that no, what no. I'm? That is. Far... That's what I got out of this. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying too much attention. Um, nothing could be farther from the truth. Oh, and from the troops. Okay, uh, so so I think that's a joint choice for the both of you. Yeah, right? yeah. Wait, can I just say something real quick? I don't oh, wanna... go for it. Please. I wouldn't consider myself a military family. My dad was out of the navy before I was born, and then he became a preacher and ruined my childhood. Oh, okay, that's perfect. Good. Well, that's good. <laughs> okay, Let's give right. it up for the preachers, everybody. <laughs> they do a hard, tough job. Tough job. All right, so Jeff, what is your second choice? Okay, I think my second choice is the, uh, let's start out small here, uh, white girls singing rap songs in an awkward white girl voice. Mm. Um, this is, I, I have to admit that there was some material about hip hop and rap in my, uh, in my material that I should have gotten rid of a long time ago. Mm. And in fact, that I performed a show and Ron Funches came on after me and he just made fun of how dated my jokes were because I was refer- <laughs> I was referring to uh, notorious B.I.G. and the and the Fat Boys and and I was did let's you try say, beatboxing, Jeff? Yeah. Did you try beatboxing? <laughs> that might, might have tur- turned so, the tables there. So in general, you know, white guys even talking about hip hop is probably something to get rid of out of your act. But this is um, white women who think it's funny to sing hip hop lyrics in kind of the like almost a voice of like a wealthy a wealthy heiress you know like <laughs> like a dowager yeah. i like big butts and i cannot lie those like, other brothers can't deny a good friend of ours that was her go-to move at karaoke was it really was the i like big butts and i cannot lie yeah, yeah. That sort of thing yeah i do think it has its precedent in a comedian like steve allen quoting you ain't nothing but a hound dog as he did <laughs> bebopalula yeah Way, She's my baby. Way back in the day, but um, he also he also did uh, Satisfaction by the Stones. Did he really? Yeah. 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 So there's a fine tradition, uh, but a lot of times that's what hack is. It's this thing that's been done so many times you need to get get rid of. And there's a weird strain of cultural appropriation that's happening there yes. as well. Yes. Beyond just I sort think, of the hackiness. Yes. I think any kind of uh, rapping 
on stage without any kind of beat or uh, accompaniment, and I, I, I will include singing a song in that also, mm. is just painful to watch. Yeah. This, you just and I don't remember your notorious B.I.G. Okay. But. You just described all of Darren Carter's act, too. I just saw him. <laughs> You know, oh, no. oh, he's such a nice guy. He is a sweet guy. W- one thing that I would like to say before we get too far, and I'm a participant, I realize I'm not the judge or the host of this thing right now, is that there is a impression that stand-up comics, um, that it's their role has always been to be original and to to do something that always engages the audience in a fresh way and to open minds and to blow minds and things like that. Stand-up comics in practice are often like a wedding band in which it's your job to show up and play the hits or it's Mm. your job to do whatever it's going to take to get people drinking and have them go home and feel like they had a good time. Louis C.K. or uh, Louis Black or Dave Chappelle or all the... You know, uh, Hannibal Buress, they exist in this realm of stand-up comedy where they get to blow minds and expand thoughts and things like that. A lot of other club comics, and Murray, I don't know if, what your perspective on this because you're the real deal, not me. Their job is to be an entertainer. And you, the, the comedy club owner doesn't ask you to go out there and be innovative and to change people's hearts and minds <laughs> about anything. They want you to go in and play the hits sometimes. Uh, they don't. In my opinion, they don't really care what you do as long as people stay and order drinks. Yeah. Mm. So you know, I mean, I've there's on my Road Stories podcast. Um, there has been <laughs> ding, which you can two. find at roadstories.tv. Roadstories.tv is where you can find the Road Stories podcast, and you can obviously find it on Stitcher and iTunes. iTunes, and all, all the podcatchers, all the things. So. Um, but they're like, they're, they're, I think uh, my friend Jimmy Pardo told me a story about he would go to a club. And this is back in back in kind of the heyday where they would ask about the comic last week and, and they'd be like, oh, he was awesome. He bought pizza for all the staff. He was great. We got to have him back soon. That's not fantastic. not, uh, he's not been... at all having anything to do with whether he was good or made the audience laugh. He made everybody who worked there feel really good. And he worked there a lot. Yeah. And I, I, so I, again, I don't really think they care what you do unless, you know, as long as they're staying and buying drinks. Yeah. I think also a, an average comedy club audience, and this is not a pejorative at all, knows as much about comedy as I know about wine. Like, I don't know red, white. I kind of can tell the difference between the two. After right. that, I, I don't know. I, I just know that I drink it and I feel good. So. Yeah. I think every stand-up comp, every stand-up audience should have to do stand-up once. It should be like a, a requirement. I did it once. I watched a U.S. soccer game. I went to a different bar, and I was pretty hammered by that point. And it was a open mic night, and I sat there and I actually thought I could do this. Oh, no, get me a pen and paper. I can <laughs> do this. They let me go on the very last thing. Uh, there was two other people there, and it lasted about two minutes. And that's probably about two minutes too long. Too long. Oh yeah. dear. You, it's yeah. hard, hard to get hard to get hard, hard to get material out of a heart attack. That was that's when my that's when my joke was. All the jokes were about. So Jeff, uh, your topic, your uh, second topic was white girls singing rap songs in awkward rap voice. Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm here to say, what is your second pick for this topic, Murray? Nice. <laughs> did, did you work that up on a on a cocktail now? Give it up too? for Mike. Michael, everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, uh, hit us with the second one. I've got the A in my name. Most people don't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what's your second topic? What's your second? I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with weed jokes. Oh, okay. I think it's just it's no, it, when I was in high school, it was your it was edgy to smoke pot, <laughs> and now it's legal and almost you know, rec, medical and recreational, and it's just I just see it all the time, and I haven't seen anything original on it. It's strange to see the teenagers that sit on my stoop at my apartment building smoking weed and the cops pull up and nothing happens. They just, right. kind, of, they just kind of shoo them away and they're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll stop doing this right in front of you now. <laughs> they're, 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 there's, there's so little thought to it. It's so boring. The last... I don't know. There's nothing edgy or anything about it anymore. Yeah. You know, you can... I, I mean, when I was smoking pot in high school, I'd have to buy it out of the back of a van. And now it's going to be in the 7-Eleven. So yeah. it's not really, there's nothing really edgy about it anymore. I will say that the la- the last show I did, actually Darren Carter was the headliner, but the comic who came on, the next comic who did best with the audience just told pot jokes for 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. he just, and you could tell that he knew, he, he had a bigger uh, expansive material to use, but he knew that we're at a brewery in Santa Clarita, just tell some fucking pot jokes. Like these guys, they're, they're going to eat this up. Yeah, they're not going to, you know, tune into whatever dumb thing I was doing about the logos of different banks or that's, I don't know. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting observation, Jeff. Um, uh, Murray, do you do that? Do you tailor 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 your set to wherever you're playing, or do you kind of have a a set that you kind of just run through, like your however many minutes that you have, and then hope that that's or you just kind of flow with it. First of all, I have hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't tailor it anymore. I don't tell it. I just I remember listening to one of my comedian friends who doesn't do stand up anymore, and he's like, he's like, man, I don't see how you can go on the road. I used to hate having to change my bits, yeah, to appease an audience, and that and that kind of struck me as like, well, then why am I there if I don't want to go up and talk about what I want to talk about? Yeah, it's interesting. So it, Oh, go ahead. Mark. Yeah, I mean, but I also, I you know, I, I can dig myself a hole and I can get out of it too. Usually, mm-hmm. it sounds like that we're hitting a bit of a a gap here when we talk about hacky comedian things. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're unsuccessful comedian topics. Yeah, but you can be a hack and be successful at the same time. So, to your point, Jeff, the guy who went up there and did fifteen minutes worth of of weed jokes. You know, to a comedian, that might seem hacky, but at the same time, to the audience, mm-hmm. he got the fucking laughs, and that's all he yeah. really cares about. I, I think what we all aspire to is to do the uh, something uniquely similar, something that explores an aspect of that and uh, that topic that nobody's ever heard before. And um, I think what Murray's point was, it's it's really hard to find that in that category that used to have edge. Talking about an illegal drug has edge. Talking about something you get at Seven Eleven, like you said, you've lost your edge there. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm excited for all the crystal meth jokes that are going to be <laughs> happening in the next decade. Yeah. All right, so we are at our halftime. Oh, can I, I say something? Oh, sure, sure. Quick. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Please, please. Um, since we're while I thought of it, since even though it's a hack bit or a hack premise, if you can bring something new to it and it's funny, then go for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember, like, I remember when Fabio got hit in the face with a goose. <laughs> on the roller coaster and that's, that's always funny yeah but a year later it had been done to death you know everybody had talked about it it had passed its time 
And I was at the improv and this comic went up and started talking about it. And I literally rolled my eyes. And then 10 minutes later, I was rolling on the floor. It was one of the funniest 15 minutes I'd ever seen. And look what you created, you guys. Now he's doing, you know, commentary on Fox News about the state of uh, how California's falling into the ocean. So thanks, everyone, for, for ruining Fabio for America. Maybe he saw a concussion from the goose. <laughs> Think about this, boys. All right, so we are at the halftime, I believe. Someone, someone double-check me to make sure I'm not losing my mind. We are. Good. Um, and I don't usually do this halftime read. But if I did it, it might sound something like this. <laughs> so one of the things that we like to extend to you as a thank you for being a listener and and supporting us is giving you a free 30-day trial with audible audible is awesome if you like to if you like to read but you're don't like the whole reading part of it it's really for you and you can get a free audio book download just by going to audibletrial.com slash rushmore there's more than 180,000 audiobooks to download and our recommendation for this week is one that you could pick is uh the comedians drunks thieves scoundrels in the history of american comedy by cliff nesteroff and it is a comprehensive look at the history of stand-up comedy going all the way back to the, uh, really going back to the vaudeville days, all the way up through modern times. It's fascinating if you get a chance to uh, read it or listen to it. I would highly recommend it. So if you want to hear that or what any of the other 180,000 audiobooks you can get at Audible, again, just go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. And the other thing you can do for us, so we, we, we just did you a solid, right? So if you could do us a solid, go to your favorite podcast catcher, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Stitcher or iTunes or whatever. Give us a good review. We like reviews. We like The five-star ones are great. Even the four-star ones are okay. Don't give us the three-star one. But go, go to hell with those. But we like, we like interacting with you. We like getting the reviews. So go ahead and review us wherever you're at. Make sure you find us. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Just search for Mount Rushmore Podcast and you can find us there. We would love that. It'd be fantastic. And we're back. Okay. Oh, actually, you know what? We got to do one thing real quick. Okay. Hey, who wrote that book you were just plugging? Cliff Nesterov. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah I was like, <laughs> Classic Cliff. All right, guys. We are back. And I believe that it is Jeff's next okay. choice. Yeah. So um, when one of the first shows I did in L.A., I sat down next to this guy and I always talk to people where I shouldn't, I should just keep my mouth shut, but I sat down next to a guy. We're both waiting to go on and his name was like Mitch Johnson. And, uh, I talked to Mitch Johnson. He said he's from like Wisconsin. He's trying to break into LA comedy or something like that. Uh, he says, okay. Oh, sorry. I'll talk to you later. I'm, I got to go up now. And the host announces, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for my homie, Miguel Martinez. And Mitch Johnson gets up and goes on stage and he's, what's up, homies? It's me, Miguel Martinez. What's on my Hispanic side? Hey, man, you, you got a big house and like a lowrider and you got a fat sister. And he starts doing all this race material and he discusses his life. He basically is selling his sitcom. And this sitcom was about his job working animal control, his big family, um, his his girlfriend. And so he's he was essentially writing his sitcom about a guy that didn't exist. Because when he was sitting with me, 
He was Mitch Johnson. He was Mitch Johnson. Now he's Miguel Martinez. And that's how Mind of Mencina eventually That's got it. That's it. Started. Just that person who is, yes, comics are storytellers. Yes, when I say I was walking down the street the other day, it wasn't the other day. This thing happened 15 years ago, and it probably didn't even happen. But <laughs> the idea of using your own life um, is something that I find inspiring. But in Los Angeles, stand-up comics for a long time, had just been trying to write sitcoms. So that was my pet peeve. So is there an issue of authenticity here? Or is because like when Stephen Wright does jokes, there's no question of authenticity. He's just doing incredible one-liners. Is there an issue of authenticity when you're trying to portray this as your life story? Yeah, yeah my, my challenge is that he's not, not that everything has to be 100% real, but he's... He's building a house, putting characters in that house. He's writing episodes of comedy based on this person that doesn't exist. So it's not just him telling or not telling well-crafted jokes on stage about his reality. It's him trying to, him imagining that a producer from NBC is out there and they're right. trying to. And, at, at Jerry's ha-ha hut yeah, or wherever you, you yeah. were at, yeah. And I was told by somebody recently, another comic who said, well, yeah, you know, it's funny is they used to do that, but now anybody, now they do that at UCB where uh, improvisers will go on stage and they'll kind of try to create this story around themselves or create this recurring character around themselves. So so is, do you think this is different? And Murray, maybe you can jump in here. Uh, is this different in Los Angeles versus, say, a working club comic who is out there on the road, you know, different places around the country and maybe doesn't have that same focus? I don't know. I haven't really come across that outside of uh, Carlos Mencia, but yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I haven't really come across that too much. I, I, I'm not. I'm not understanding what if if your problem is with. I think what you were asking is it being fake. Is is the, is the problem with this or? Yeah, my my problem. It was not only was it fake. It was kind of even overly ambitious because he wasn't killing with all this florid storytelling about this big family, he, they weren't, and they weren't necessarily jokes. It was like mm -hmm. he was describing this. It was, he was pitching a sitcom. Sure. <laughs> he was describing characters, offstage characters and the houses they live in and the crazy next door neighbor. And, uh, so you're, you're, you're more into the pure jokes and the pure comedy as opposed to it as a setup for someone who's eventually going to discover this incredible talent and, Look, I don't even have to come in to CBS to pitch this to you. Just watch this ten-minute bit on YouTube, and it's got everything I, you need right there. Yeah, I, at the time it was pre-YouTube, pre a lot of that stuff where uh, comics, um, and at the time I think more comics were trying to to emulate this model that who knows started with. I don't. I don't know even who you would say it started with, like but Raymond could, or something like. Well, that? Well, I start with like Phil Silvers, or you know, way back in the day, where somebody has this comedy act and continued through uh, Jack Benny or. or yeah, you or know who Gage. was a hack? That Bob Newhart guy. Yeah, Bob Newhart. <laughs> what a hack! Do you, do you think? Ah. Do you think that there used to be like more designated kingmakers back in the day that hasn't really translated? Like, was there someone that was like? Okay, I'm gonna put you on, and now I, I've just I've been watching some of the uh, the HBO documentary about the journals of 
Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling, thank oh. you. And they talk about uh, what's the name of the comedy store, and yeah. like there seemed to be like these people in Hollywood that would like all you had to do was be in with them, yeah. and you'd be getting the green light, yeah. you'd be getting the prime spaces. Do you think that this person in particular, and maybe other people that go up on stage and kind of just have their pitch for their show, do you think that they are kind of existing in an outdated mindset, or do you think that? I mean, I'm pretty naive to how Hollywood and how comedy to TV or comedy to movies work, so I don't yeah. really know the machinations. But yeah, I think the idea that if you're at the Laugh Factory, the Comedy Store, the Improv, there could be somebody from the Tonight Show or somewhere who's or Conan or whatever, whoever, which of those shows still has comics who could see your act, put you on stage, and then they would be able to you would be able to broker that into some kind of sitcom. But this was at a bowling alley in Canoga Park. <laughs> you know? I've done that bowling alley. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but I also, what Jeff is also talking about is this was a period of time, and it was after the heyday of the development deal, where networks were throwing money at comedians who had you know, a great 10-minute set at a festival. And there's actually, I will leave her name out, but her name is widely known through the comedy uh, community because she's the one who killed the development deal. (laughs) She was this kind of hot ex-stripper who was dirty and had this killer set at the Aspen Comedy Festival. And they gave her like a $500,000 development deal. And when they tried to develop something around her, they realized she only had seven minutes of material and no other talent. They, oh. She needed to be a dog catcher, and she needed to have like an off <laughs> an off stage character that they could work in. Well, enough about Brett Butler, uh, you guys. <laughs> okay, but so, that was a time. I don't think that because the development deal doesn't really exist anymore. So I don't. I don't think you see a lot of that style anymore. Jeff is yeah. showing. Jeff is showing his age in that pick. Yeah, well, I, was, I was around then. We were both starting out around that. Yeah, right, there was another comic. I, I remember speaking to her. This is the same night, and she's articulate, uh, pleasant. Basically, what we've learned from this is Jeff has only done stand up once. <laughs> once, and everything, yeah. all his stories happen yeah. in the same night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this, the the curtains have been drawn back. Yeah, the totally. emperor has no clothes. Murray, what's your uh, third pick? You would think uh, with all my success, you, I wish I would have stopped at once. That would have been a smart <laughs> thing to do. It was a hell, of a hell of a tight five minutes. Yeah. Though, Jeff. yeah. Murray, uh, <laughs> number three, please. Um, I'm going to go off what some other people uh, told me as I texted around and asked some other comics. and Because I've never had any topic on this, but uh, Tinder oh, okay. jokes apparently are looked down upon now. Now, I've been married for a very long time. I didn't do any kind of online dating, so I don't really know much about it. Uh, but apparently Tinder jokes are going very hack these days. That's I, I would imagine that that's just like a extension of 1970s, 80s computer dating. Uh, I'm sure that it's just like, you know, and even... It's like the same jokes almost. It's like computer dating, then online dating, and now Tinder. Yeah, you can see it's like a hacky... A hacky technique that has just evolved into a new generation of technology. Is it the catchphrases that also go along, like "swipe left"? You know, it seems like there's a lot of uh, hooky statements that go along. But you're saying yeah. it's something you're observing because it's not in your act. But 
you yeah, know, I think so. I think I mean, I do talk. I talk about actually not doing online dating in my new hour. Yeah. What's what's so. funny is that like we uh, had a friend, not a friend, a person that we knew through where we all met through our adult kickball league. And this person had, yeah. And this person had started doing some stand-up. Murray was on the uh, Trace Stafford explosion. Oh, was he? Yeah, a one of our best players who never got any love for actually putting his (laughs) life on the line. It's true, man. (laughs) Well, there was a person that had started doing stand-up, and uh, he was an unfunny and awful type of person, just in general, just in his life. Unstable. Unstable. Yes, uh, Richard and I are winking at each other, knowing exactly who this is. I remember watching on Facebook like some of the clips that he had posted as you do and literally it was all Tinder jokes and they were mm-hmm. all they all ended with the same like swipe left swipe I don't even know which way is the correct way to yeah. swipe on, on Tinder um, but they, they that is exactly the only thing I remember from watching the two and a half minutes that he was on stage not getting any laughs was that exact joke or yeah. that exact type of joke that's pretty amazing yeah uh i i don't i don't think i ever had watch yourself Jeff, got, yeah, swiping yeah. right i like this, murray in that I, comment i was in a relationship before <laughs> before i ever got to talk about those dating apps yeah. all right jeff what's your uh final pick this is my final pick this is something that um, Murray you, may you, rec- by the way you got the red light so. oh shit I got the red light okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> quick, right. quick, quick. I'll leave on, the, leave on this um, uh, so um, comics who open with I know what you're thinking I look like a cross between blank mm. and blank or I look like if blank and blank had a baby and um, I've heard that espoused as hack from the very moment I started comedy in 2004 uh, and re- wrote all the jokes that I'm still using today <laughs> back in 2004. And then saw a very respected comic do that joke last year, a very slim uh, comic. Um, and so... Who it, is it? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't... Well, can, Blaine, you describe what he's, can you describe what he's across we between? Can, we can always beep it out. Yeah. Guess what, guys? I'm not going to beep it out. So I was at Lucha Vavum and Blake, Blaine Capach... Killed with a. I know what you. I know what you're thinking. I look like if Slenderman and Mr. Burns had a baby, and everybody laughed, and it was genuinely funny, and it was true. He looks like <laughs> if Montgomery Burns and Slenderman had a baby. It was a variation on that. So, but that goes back to my point of even if it's a hack premise, if you got something uh, a new twist on it and it's funny, then I'm down with it. Yeah. I also think so. If it was a hack premise and it and you thought it was funny and everybody thought maybe you get yeah. a pass, but I do agree with you on that premise. Yeah. What what one that that book that uh, Richard mentioned during our uh, plug for Audible by Cliff Nesteroff, he does talk about the K J L I P H. K. Yeah. Uh, schwa, there's a schwa and a four in there. He does talk <laughs> about the venues in which the uh, original stand-up comics plied their trade. And they weren't comedy venues because no such fucking thing has existed except for in like the last 30 or so years. They were strip strip clubs and vaudeville houses where you were dealing with a rowdy, drunk audience that wanted to see boobies or acrobats. (laughs) So if you can't get them to laugh in the first statement that comes out of your mouth, you have no chance of getting them to listen to anything else you will say. And then you might be pelted by a barrage of cabbage. So I understand it is, it is 
kind of like uh, I don't know. It's 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 an important thing to come out with a joke, an opening line that's simple, easy to understand, and diffuses how the audience may feel about your opinion. If you're a larger comic or you're a, an unusual looking comic. They usually want to hear you joke about that first, so I think that's another reason comics do that. And it that. takes them down to their to the audience's level. I think that if you start out with like a self-deprecating sort yeah. of comment about yourself, I don't know. I don't know if the idea is to to bring yourself down to the audience's level so they won't hate you as yeah. much, or maybe as a way to kind of undercut some of the whatever the hecklers are going to be saying. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's an element of that to that specific comment that maybe I also think there's a more original way to do that yeah and to hey I know what you're thinking or let me move this microphone stand so you can see me the 350 pound comedian says yeah you know I think there's there's a way of addressing there's a it's it's a way of letting the audience know that what they're experiencing is something real yeah, and not just somebody who's going through material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in uh, my opinion. Yeah. So what if you did something? And I think there's a lot more original ways to do it than I know what you're thinking. So what if you did something where you were like a really ugly person, but you said, "I know what you're thinking. I look like a cross between Tom Cruise and someone else really attractive." That's that would be different, right, guys? Okay, I'm writing this down. Next time I do ne- next time we do stand up comedy, yeah. I'm writing that down. That's a killer. Okay. Innovation. Who is the most attractive person you've seen doing stand-up? <laughs> Other than yourself. Yes. Anybody. Throw That's... it out. You don't see a lot of, like, army hammers up there. Just yeah. like... Yeah. Oh! Lachlan Patterson, a good friend of mine, very funny, was one of the finalists on The Last Last Comic Standing. Very tall, very model-esque, very mm. attractive. Uh-huh. Mm. Check out. Look up. Yeah, John Cleese's daughter was doing comedy oh, for a while. What? Yeah. Gorgeous, like statuesque. She just looks like I imagine John Cleese married a model, and she mm. looks well, she like the daughter Connie, of a model. What, Connie Booth from, uh, from yeah. Faulty Towers. Oh, I don't know if they. Okay, well, maybe well, that's his kid. Maybe it's someone else's kid. It it is it is something that some comics. That was a TV show, Richard. Some they comics. They weren't actually. <laughs> I, <I've, laughs> some comics do lament that comedy is a uh, a. Um, survival technique of the unattractive. Hmm. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's, I think it's especially hard for women, uh, female comics, because they have all these things they have to do first before being funny and being attractive is... (laughs) Well, uh, Murray, on our last episode, we talked about um, like TV sitcom pregnancies or or, Uh or pregnancies on TV in general. And one of the things that was brought up was uh, just how, how rough it is on women in general, and uh, as when a pregnancy is displayed, be it Murphy Brown being a, a successful working woman character, right. single mother, or be it someone from Mad Men who uh, was just kind of at the whims of the cultural culture around her, I, I imagine the same thing happens with women on stage, where not only not only do you have to be funnier above and beyond whatever men are on stage, but also most likely the society's going to force you to be attractive or else they'll, they'll just kind of run you out of the building in some sort of weird, cruel way. I honestly, man, I don't, I don't know how women do it. (laughs) I mean, I, and I've got a ton of female comedian friends and I hear and see the horror stories of, you know, there, there's a club that uh, this, this booker 
he doesn't book a lot of female comedians because they don't draw as well as male comedians, no matter how funny they are. And he showed me his numbers to prove it. And it's just so hard for, and I never, I've never seen the difference between a male and a female comedian. I've always, I've always had a ton of female friends and, uh, and it's, it's just really hard for women. Don't like women. I know it sounds a little sexist, but it's still true. Women are very judgmental of other women. And guys don't like funny women. Yeah, I, I would say that. Uh, and I'm painting, a, I'm painting broad strokes. Of yeah. course, there are enlightened people out there, and you know. Let's give it up for women, everybody. Give it up for women. <laughs> <laughs> and and those run female, that joke right into the ground. Like How about those women soldiers? Woman woman. Yeah, the the I think comedy is ultimately a political and kind of an aggressive act. And uh, when you force somebody else to laugh, I think a lot of there's a lot of people that guys, some guys. Not woke bros like the people uh, on this podcast who are afraid to let let a woman control them. So it's we, we kind got of a, a weird power struggle. We've got a friend who has said basically women aren't. I don't like women stand ups. They're not very funny, with the exception of and then like two mm. or three women that he likes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, huh, you're a pretty progressive guy. Where's this coming from? Yeah, it's a very weird like hurdle. Uh, Murray, yeah, I mean, it's a shame it's still out there. I mean, honestly, I don't. Jeff, you know Kira Saltanovich. She's oh, yeah. a friend of mine. Yeah. I don't want to follow her. Yeah, no, yeah. She destroys, yeah. you know? Jackie Cation, Karen Rontowski, Marie Bever, I could list a thousand. Yeah. Uh, Murray, you have the final spot. I don't know if that's. I don't know if you want to have the final spot at the end of a billing. If, if that means that <laughs> you're the headliner. headliner <laughs> or if it means <laughs> you're just the guy that's on at like 2.30 in the morning and then there's just one guy that's leaning against the table that's <laughs> drunk and they're trying to clear out. So you mean pick, my, my you, one time at stand up, that's basically yeah, what it pick, was. Pick yeah. whichever one of those you want to be and give us your uh, fourth and final topic. Well, as a headliner and a guy who goes on at two 30 in the morning, <laughs> uh, it's, it's tough for me to pick. Oh, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go now because it kind of ties into what we're saying. So I was going to go now if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, please. Okay. Uh, my tacky premise is, is pointed at women. Uh, and it's the, uh, I'm a drunken whore, uh, bit. I've seen too many women do that and fall back on that. And I think it's been done way too much. Is that a recent thing? Like, I know that, I don't want to say that was, I want to say in the last few years, there've been a few comedians, comedians, comedians. Let's just say comedians. Why would I say comedians? That's weird. We're going to edit that out. Right guys. Comics. Comics. Sure. In the last few years, there have been several female comedians who have, I think, been successful playing off of that, not necessarily, I think, being smart about the way they they address that. But I think when it gets filtered down to the next level of comics, it's almost like a copy of a copy. You kind of lose yeah. the quality of it. And I feel like maybe that's what's happening. There are a couple of female comics, you know, like who were very open about, you know, their sexual lives and, and not being sort of coy about it in the way maybe comedians had to be before. Mm-hmm. And when you get people trying to follow and basically copy that, it winds up being a, a bad reproduction. I, I would say I, I'm glad that everybody's empowered to be, to, to not feel that com- comics are frequently people who break taboos. And if female comics in the past had felt like, uh, confessing their natural urges like a male comic would confess (laughs) was taboo, then screw that. I'm going to do it. But now it seems like a Murray, you're just saying it's just, they're not, uh, they're not showing the full, the full spectrum. 
I, yeah, I guess. And I know it's a touchy subject. And I just went off on saying how, you know, many great female comedian friends I have. And then I pulled this out of my ass. Um, but I just I just feel like the, the, the women I've seen do it are just doing this, the, this, the same thing now. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know much more I can say about well, that. I think it's tough. I mean, Michael, you were just talking about uh, the Gary Shandling uh, documentary you mm-hmm. watched and a lot of his stand-up was based on his sex life oh yeah and you know it or, lack thereof, or lack thereof or whatever what it happened to be he was a little bit more self-deprecating and right yeah but certainly a female comic couldn't have had that same routine in in the early and, 80s. Cer- and certainly not been accepted for it yeah right it would have been a tough road to hoe so to speak i think um yeah i I mean, I know I, I, I know it sounds like I might be coming off under a double standard, um, but I'll be honest with you. I saw a, a gay comic the other night at the improv talk about sucking dick for 20 minutes, and I was over it in four minutes. You know what I mean? I think I think it's a tough I think you have to be smart about how you do that. Yeah, do that topic. And I think it can be done well, but I think it's one of those like four experts only sort of things once you get down that path. you got to really know how to construct your stuff. I I would say, as somebody who lived to see, to hear the term PC and the backlash against uh, topics that weren't politically correct, and then to see the pendulum swing the other way, it does seem like pendulum behavior. It it seems like a, a comic's role is to kind of explore different areas within their act, and to see somebody saying, fuck you, I'm going to say whatever I want to say, and then just sitting in that subject or sitting in that topicality of sexuality for their whole set, seems like you kind of blew your chance at at liberation here, about <laughs> being liberated from being stuck to a conservative topic because you're female. So, um, right. yeah. I do, I, I, I have found that sexuality is, almost any joke that I've ever written about sexuality <laughs> or anything, the audience tenses up right away. I don't know if I'm just bad at talking about it or people just think, I don't want to hear this from this weird white guy or whatever. So I, I think some comics just have a better time of it than others do. No, I think so. Yeah, I work and I know, I know this is kind of a touchy subject and I even debated on bringing it up, but it really, it really does bother me. And I got nothing against women talking about sex on stage. There's just kind of this, you know, I, I, kind of Chelsea Handler wannabe. Um, I Where think, she doesn't even do that anymore. She's more political than she was the drunken whore, right. which is, was her take. And all of her, and I kind of came up with Chelsea and kind of her group. So I saw a lot of women doing that. Sure. You know what's interesting is Michael and I had come up originally with some ideas for topics. I think Michael and I not being stand-up comics, hmm. ours were more broad. Yeah, definitely. And I think you guys, it's been fascinating. You guys have come up with very specific, drilled-down topics. Like ours were like, you know, Black people, blank people are like this, but other types of people are like this. Oh, yeah. Or that like sort a, of stuff. A, city, a, a, a city's particular peculiarities. Oh. But like, in it, I think this has been a, an interesting topic, and, and I hope you don't mind if we jump to judging, because I think we've got a lot to say about you two guys. Judge away. Uh, Jeff's picks tend to come from identity observations and have issues with like a lack of inauthenticity. Or lack of authenticity. Oh, lack of, yes, totally. Sorry. Yeah. Like, a like, lack of grammar. No, yeah. we're going to tell you. Okay. So shut up. Okay, sure. Yo, I, I hate I, these people that are always jumping that. in. 
That's what I hate. Mm. Uh, your picks, uh, Jeff, to recap, were um, Give It Up for the Troops, which uh, was a co-pick with um, Murray, which seems to be like just this thing that you say no matter what. It doesn't necessarily matter if you mean it or not. You just have to say it. Um, white girl singing rap songs in the awkward rap voice, which seems out of place. Uh, there's a cultural uh, uh, appropriation there that is just not uh, correct. Um, sitcom pitch as stand-up, which is just like this guy that had turned uh, from maybe one race or one culture to something completely different that you find you found uh, so completely uh, offensive. And the last one is, I know what you're thinking. I'm a cross between blank and blank. Also kind of has these little tendrils of... Uh, this isn't the person that he uh, that they are. Yeah, um, Murray's were they really stemmed from this working comic seeing jokes evolve or a lack of evolution. Um, that they're just like these hacky topics that you see over and over. Being at the uh, give it up for the troops, we jokes which are just you know not all that uh, taboo anymore. Uh, Tinder, which is just kind of an, another extension of computer dating jokes. And I'm a drunken whore bit, which might have been authentic in the original, but the deviations that you see make it hacky after it's just gone, you know, it's just a copy of a copy of a copy, and that's not interesting. It's just someone else's bit. Um, so I think that we want to dally out the points thusly. Richard, do you have anything else to say before we do this? No, I don't think so. I think you, 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 you spoke so eloquently. And very yeah, you're very eloquent and but, very inauthentically Je- there, Michael. Uh, see, I'm always going to live that one down. It'll be five uh, podcasts from now, and uh, I'll I'll be dinged for that. Um, give it up for the troops. Both of you get a point there. Um, Murray, you get a point for the observations about Tinder. Uh, I was walking my dog earlier and was thinking of uh, a hacky computer dating uh, joke in my head, and I decided. Nah, we'll just, I won't say it. Um, Jeff, you get a point for, I know what you're thinking. I'm a cross between this and that. And that seems to kind of crossed over to, to both of you guys a little bit. And Murray, you're going to wind it out with, uh, I'm a drunken whore. I, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> well, admitting it is the first. Uh, yeah. You are a drunken whore. So, uh, uh, Murray, you win a three to two. Yay, Murray. Oh, all right. Give it up for Murray. Murray, plug your uh, podcast, plug your Twitter. Uh, sure. Uh, my podcast is the Road Stories podcast. It's part of the All Things Comedy Network, so you can check it out there. Or subscribe for free on iTunes if you like stand-ups. I just talk about stand-ups and talk to stand-ups and all the crazy shit that happens on the road. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm at Murray V on Twitter and Murray V Comedy on Instagram. And um, dates... Uh, I'm going to be up in Oregon at the Undertow Comedy Festival in a couple weeks, and I'll be up in Kirkland, Washington at Joker's Comedy Club and various Southern California dates. Uh, I got uh, a chance to see Murray in Las Vegas a couple years ago, and it was a spontaneous last-minute thing, and it was so awesome. He's a great comic, and you won't be uh, disappointed if you go see him. Oh, thanks. I I forgot about that. You and Jen came out. Yeah, it was a blast. That was great. It was such a surprise. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Well, thanks, guys. This has been a uh, an illuminating uh, uh, podcast, I believe. And as someone who is a really not a stand-up comic, but somebody who appreciates the art, it's been, I think, fascinating just to hear two guys who know know what know what it's all about, kind of breaking down all the stuff you don't want to do. So, Murray, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thank so you th- very much. This is the Mount Rushmore podcast. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. I'm Jeff. 